What a, what a what a sweet privilege to be able to to be together with God's people and to see so many people that uh, have a just incredible place in my heart. I love you. I love you, church. Those watching, love God and love people. Right is what we're called to do. My hope today is that you can grow in your desire and motivation to love well in the face of of suffering and difficulty. Today we're going to talk about gospel hope for anxiety. You know, I thought long and hard about what to preach about. When when you're a guerrilla preacher, meaning you come and you preach one sermon and you disappear for weeks or months or even, in my case, a couple years... Uh, you got to look at all the Bible and decide which, which passage to, to, to preach from. And so I landed here. As I think about where we are in, in the history of our church, the history of our country, um, this is probably one of the craziest uh, seasons. I think it's the craziest I've ever experienced personally in 67 years. I grew up with the Cuban Missile Crisis, Newark riots, uh, the the Democratic National Convention riots, Kent State, Woodstock, and the teaching that you can rebel and and should push back against governments. Here we are, reaping what we've sown as a nation, and now we're in the middle of chaos. And I mentioned earlier in the first service, it feels... It feels, I can relate to Ozzy Osbourne, not my favorite theologian, but he's a, he's, a helpful, he's a helpful voice. I feel like I'm running off the, trail, the rails on a crazy train. This has been nuts. Agree? And what else? It's scary. So much uncertainty. We can't even discover what truth is, what's real, you see. So I want you to turn to 1 Peter because 1 Peter wrote a letter to strengthen God's church in the face of significant trials and suffering, similar to what we're in. They were facing the potential of persecution. Some of them were already in it. Uh, I don't know if Peter knew what was coming, but the Holy Spirit did, and Nero was about to try and annihilate God's people. And this writing, we believe, is God's way of strengthening the church when you face trials and suffering. And particularly, I want to leave you today with hope for your anxiety as you deal with what you're, you're facing in this, coming, in this coming world. My desire is to, is to help each other because I'm in this with you. This is not an easy thing to do. In fact, this message is going to be difficult to, to grasp and even more difficult uh, to implement. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on the same bench. I'm a beggar helping other beggars find the bread. But we're going to look at gospel hope of 1 Peter, and, and I'm going to teach from chapter 5, but I want to start with chapter 1 because I want you to see the beginning bookend of Peter's hope in the gospel as he exalts the glory of God in saving His people, and then He ends in chapter 5 where we're going to go with hope for anxiety. So please stand with me as you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to read to you 
just an amazing uh, unpacking, if you will, of the glory of the gift of Christ to save us. Blessed, verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again. To what? A living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead to, look at this, an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for this salvation that's going to be ready to be revealed in the last time. And it's in this, this hope, that you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved, grieved by various trials. Why trials? So that the test of genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy with an inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action, be, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope for anxiety is based on the gospel. And when God commands us and calls us to do something, He doesn't call us to do it in our own strength in a vacuum. He calls us to obey Him and follow Him because of the glory of the gospel, Christ in us, the hope of glory. He starts with this glorious view of the gospel. Now, turn to chapter 5. Turn to chapter 5 to our text for our consideration this morning. Verse 5, chapter 5. In the middle of verse 5, I'm going to start because it changes the subject. It starts with clothe, the word clothe. Find it. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded be watchful. Be your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, listen to the promise here. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, verse 12. Look at verse 12. Peter summarizes the whole letter. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. You may be seated. Father, we've come this morning to find hope in the gospel, not just for eternal hope, but hope right now. So what we don't know, teach us. What we see not, reveal to us. What we are not, make us. Help us to see you this morning high, lifted up, so that we go low and humble, trusting before you, and we can live a life 
free of our burdens because you care for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All my life, I can remember, uh, I have spent time just observing human behavior. Fascinates me. My own behavior fascinates me and scares me sometimes. But one of the things I've noticed is that the human psyche is wired to make sense of its world. We're always asking questions, how to cope with, respond to, understand, and, and, and deal with life pressures. Well, the Holy Spirit knows that. And in this passage, verses 5 through 7 that we're going to talk through, uh, I think there's 52 words, answers over a dozen questions. But we're going to focus on three major questions here this morning as we look for gospel hope in our anxiety. And question number one is, what about me? Oftentimes when you are faced with a trauma, and many of you in this room are right now facing difficulty, very difficult circumstances, what about me? Second question, what about God? Where is He? Does He care? Has He forgotten? Does He matter? Is He even there? Does He exist? Those are all questions that over the years I've, I personally have, have, have wrestled with. The last question I want to leave you with is the answer of this, this question is, what about my anxiety? We are going to learn gospel hope to deal with anxiety this morning. Let's start with question number one. What about me? Answer, according to verse 5, humble yourself. Your notes <clears throat> tell us here that humble yourself because God gives grace. Look at verse 5. Clothe yourself, all of you, answers the question of who. Who's he talking to? Answer, God's people. What are we supposed to do? Answer, clothe yourself. How? With humility. Where? Towards each other. Humble yourself because God gives grace. So let me talk about humility first. Humility is a heart attitude. And by the way, it can be faked. Humility can be faked at times. Humility is a heart attitude that comes from this. It comes from a, a high view, an accurate view of the identity of God who made us and an accurate view of who we are, that is, who God tells us who we are, what the Scriptures say about us. Humility is the product of a high view of God, a right view of myself, and here's what it does. Humility responds in trusting God's plan for my life in all that He is orchestrating uh, for me. <clears throat> I voluntarily surrender and trust Him. And in this context, He calls us to clothe ourselves with this kind of humility. The word clothe is a reference to the attire of a slave at this particular time and culture. What he's saying is you need to tie on the apron of a slave so that people who see you recognize that you know who God is, you know who you are, you know what your purpose is in life. That is, I am here to be your servant. Clothe also says that you are to tie on the garment of a slave mentality so tightly that there is not a circumstance or an event in your life that will tear it off. You know exactly who you are and what your purpose is, and you're committed to doing it regardless of what happens. The word clothe is weighty. What about me? I'm called to humble myself before you. Now, why? 
why would I give my life for you? Especially when the threat of being mistreated or used or misused is so high. Answer, because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. My motivation to follow Christ is I actually get Christ himself. Giving grace, I believe, when Peter says this is the true grace of God, he is referring to all of the glory that he writes in his letter personified in the name of Jesus. And so as I take on a humble focus of slavery, servanthood, service, I get Christ. And by the way, why would he call us to do this? Because in Philippians 2, what does it say? He was God, and he put on the slave apron, if you will, of human flesh. And he came to live for us and to give his life. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many, you see. And at the end of his life, what did he do? He took off his clothes in the upper room and put on the slave apron of a towel and washed feet. What about me and my troubles, my, my suffering, my anxiety? Answer, follow Christ. Humble yourself because God gives grace. Well, what about God? What, where's God in all of this? <clears throat> Answer, the passage calls us to trust His mighty hand. How come? Why would I? Why should I? A lot of us wrestle with that. Answer, because he delivers. Because God delivers. Look at the text. Verse 6 answers the question, who? It's us, God's people. The redeemed are called to humble <clears throat> ourselves. <clears throat> the who and the what is answered in two words. Humble yourselves. Where's the sphere? Where do I humble myself? You just called me to humble myself with other people. Now you're doing it again in a different sphere. Yes, under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Look at this. Here's a, a little uh, Lego man. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know what, what the uh, draw is to this, but trust me, I got a lot of grandkids that tell me it's pretty cool. Little, that's who I am. A right view of God recognizes where I am before Him. He calls me to humble myself under His mighty hand. How come? Because there's two hands. In the future, He will exalt me, you see. There's a promise of deliverance. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. What does that mean, mighty hand? Moses uh, taught us a lesson in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And he tells the story to Israel about their deliverance. Listen to what he has to say about God's mighty hand of deliverance in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Since the day that God created man on earth, ask from one end of the earth to the other. I want you to ask the question, Moses says, whether such a great thing has ever happened. Have you ever seen a mighty hand deliver anyone or anything like this. Like what? You ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard, and still live? Has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation 
for himself in the midst of another nation by trials and signs and wonders and war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. You ever seen anything like it? The mighty hand of God is a hand that delivers. And because of that, because your assurance of deliverance, like Israel, you can humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, knowing that in due time, He is going to exalt or deliver. Well, what does that have to do with anxiety? I want you to consider the source of your anxiety. We're going to get to the hope end of this, but we have to understand the source of anxiety in the context of God's mighty hand. Humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God is a voluntary acceptance of all humbling experiences. Now, where does that humble experience begin? Answer, my DNA package. The DNA package that God gave me. Are you accepting of the fact that He made you with the color of hair that you have, the size, your body type, your, the sex that you came, came with, male or female? Are you accepting the fact that God made you the way He made you? Do you accept the fact that He put you, <clears throat> excuse me, in uh, uh, the timing, the timing that He brought you into this? in this world. I used to, as a kid, really wrestle with this because I, I loved the outdoors, mountain men, exploring, uh, early history of America, and I just yearned to live in the times of Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone and um, Francis Marion was one of my heroes. You don't even know him. Moses got got schooled in this, fussing with God because of the way God made him. God says this to Moses, who has made your mouth? You see, Moses was fussing with him because he couldn't talk. Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Question, is it not I? You can just see God leaning over the podium. Did I not do this? That scares me a lot. To think God would look at me like that and try and teach me a lesson. Humility voluntarily submits to what God is doing. My timing of my birth, my DNA, my family of, of origin, the culture I find myself in, <clears throat> the, uh, the political arena, my past history, my present condition, my future fears, my eternity, all of that, humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God says, I am okay with what God is doing, and I'm not going to fuss with Him. And Peter, remember Peter, he fussed with Jesus and told him, ain't no way you're going to go to the cross. Uh, that ain't not going to happen. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Shut up, Satan. Get behind me. That was old Peter. New Peter, 30 years later, he writes a letter to tell us about humility, about trusting God, about letting God be God and walking in his footsteps because he called you to suffer with him. He talks about God's right hand in, in chapter 3. Jesus is at God's right hand right now 
angels, authorities, and powers are subject to him. You can trust him, you see. Peter had a high view of God. Paul had a high view of God. He said, nothing, we sang this, will separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. High view of God's mighty hand. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, facing a fiery furnace. What did they say? God's mighty hand can deliver me. But if he doesn't, I'll fry and it's okay. No fear, no anxiety, you see. What about God? Trust Him. Trust Him, His mighty hand. By the way, the word trust isn't in the text. Did you notice that? But the implication of trusting God's mighty hand permeates this message. Trust His mighty hand because He will deliver. Well, what about my anxiety? What about that? Today we're going to talk about gospel hope for anxiety from this passage. What about anxiety? Answer, cast them. The word is cast. Cast anxieties on God. How come? Because he cares. <clears throat> look, at, look at verse 7. Casting is the way we humble ourselves. This is the how part of humility. Anxious people are proud people, humble people, cast their anxieties on the Lord. What is an anxiety? What is it? Here's a working definition that to me is helpful. Anxiety is the mental, emotional, and physiological agitation. Again, it's mental, emotional, and physiological agitations that stem from my fussing with what the mighty hand of God is doing in my world. You see, anxiety has to do with my belief that God is sovereign and that God is in control and God is good. Anxiety is the mental, emotional, physiological agitation from fussing over the if-onlys of the past, the what-nows of the present, and the what-ifs of the future. <clears throat> you see, we do what we do because we want what we want. We say that here a lot. Well, we feel what we feel because of what we believe and what we think and what we value and what we worship. And so if we're going to cast anxieties, we're not just throwing off anxiety. We have to get to the root cause of the anxiety, which is what I value and believe. I need to get at what drives my anxiety itself. Anxieties are idol detectors of the false gods that we worship. Anxiety actually exposes where we place our trust. Anxiety exposes where you place your hope. Let me give you an illustration to show you how anxiety comes from uh, what we value, or emotion comes from what we value. Uh, imagine a snowstorm. It's kind of hard to do in this climate, right? <clears throat> There's been a snowstorm last night. Twelve inches of snow has piled up. Beautiful, soft, serene, no wind. I mean, we've had some beautiful mornings, right? Imagine 
this scene where mom comes down early in the morning. Dawn is just coming across this, the scene, and, and she looks out the, the back window, and what does she see? This serene, beautiful, picturesque uh, environment, and she's, what, what's her emotion? Serenity, peace, calmness. She makes a cup of tea, grabs her journal and her, uh, her Bible, and goes and sits down and begins to personally worship Study God's Word and just just soak it in. Well, 40 minutes later, the kids come down, and they, they drag themselves down the stairs thinking they're going to school. And all of a sudden, there's this explosion of excitement because what do they see? They see no, no school and snow sl- sliding, playing in the snow all day long. Well, that noise wakes up Dad, and he comes down, <clears throat> and he's angry. He's angry. Why? Because he forgot to set his, his alarm. He's going to miss his important appointment, and he's got to shovel 12 inches of snow. He's going to be late. Well, his explosion wakes up teenage daughter who's coming down, and she's thinking she's on her way to work. What is she filled with? Fear. She's afraid to drive on the snow. You see, one event and four emotional responses. How come? Four worldviews, four value systems, four things that people are living for produces four different responses. So my question then about your anxiety is what, what is it that you live for? What is it that you want so badly that you're willing to sin to get it or to keep it or to prevent from losing it? Well, I'll make some personal confessions over the years. This is how anxiety has played out in my own world. I'm going I'm to call this anxiety personified because anxiety for a lot of us can literally take on a personality. How about the chameleon? The chameleon is shaped by the environment, what you think other people are thinking. How's that work for you, by the way? Can you know what I'm thinking about you? When you think you know what other person is thinking, you got your feet firmly planted in midair, and you're in serious trouble. But that's what the chameleon does, and then the anxiety that comes from that just goes through the roof. How about the prophetic worrier? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this doesn't happen? What if my retirement runs out? What if the government uh, puts more taxes on us? What if something happens at school? What if I don't pass this test? What if I don't get to the right college? The prophetic worrier, the discontented dreamer. I'll be happy if only, if only, if only, if only. Constantly looking for that, that puff that you can't quite get to. Solomon called it futility, soap bubbles, vanity of vanity. The historian lives in regrets, constantly looking backwards and trying to rewrite history, dwelling on what has happened and trying to uh, somehow uh, make a difference by living in the past or the controller who tries to make sure that they take, uh, they make sure that nothing bad happens to them or people that they Uh, trust or love. 
And lastly, the sixth one I think is common is the perfectionist who lives by self-made standards and then creates self-made solutions. Worry is a big deal to God. It is a worship disorder. It exposes a worship disorder. Well, somebody says, well, if I stop worrying, that means I don't care. Uh, Worry actually means that you don't trust God. It means you don't believe that God opposes the proud. Worry doesn't believe God is good. Well, the text calls us to cast that off, cast off anxiety. What does cast mean? It means to roll it off, get rid of it, unload it, don't carry it any longer. And God calls us to do that for a reason. Uh, When I was uh, in high school, I worked in a grocery store, and uh, this particular family was a a hard-working immigrants. They they kept to themselves. They were were just different. This woman uh, was frail, thin, uh, skinny, I would call her. Well, she came to to the store and, and bought a 100-pound pa- uh, sack of potatoes, and one of the uh, carryout guys took it in a cart, wheeled it out to the front of the uh, sidewalk, and said, where's your car, with the intention of delivering it to her car. She said, I don't need it. She picked up that 100-pound sack of potatoes, literally put it on her shoulder, and walked across the street and dumped it in her truck and drove away. And the whole store is standing there just in amazement. How did she do that? The word cast is literally that idea of throwing the weight off and letting God take the care that you have, like Mildred did with her 100-pound sack of potatoes. Look at the verse 7. I want you to see the connection of why to cast your burdens onto God. The word anxiety in the King James is care, and actually the the original is, is more better translated care, I believe. Your care is His care. It, another, it, literally, it says, it is, his, uh, uh, it is His care. And God is calling us to unload our burdens because He wants to carry them. Give your care to Him because it already is His care. That's amazing to me. Jesus says, Come. Hebrews 4, he says, come to the throne that you can find grace to help in time of need. Jesus says, come, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. There is a kind, gentle, heavenly Father that I believe groans for you because you don't give him what he can carry and what you can't carry. He invites us to move from the throne of judgment to the throne of grace because He cares. He's kind. He is moved with compassion. Jesus, the picture of Jesus in Matthew 9 is a man whose gut is hurting so much he's doubling over with pain because people are like sheep without a shepherd and he has compassion. And he says, humble yourself between one another because he gives grace. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God because he delivers. And roll off your burdens, cast your burdens because he cares. 
There's a lot of people in this room and in our church family right now that have burdens that are beyond description. My desire is that we help each other let go of what we value that keeps us away from the freedom uh, of letting our burdens go to the Lord and really trusting God to carry us in it. Several, uh, a few years ago, we were uh, with our son and, and uh, daughter-in-law in, in uh, Colorado, and we got the call that there was an invader. Some, some guy was, was in the school where our, our uh, daughter-in-law worked. She was a teacher. <clears throat> we raced to the school, and uh, while we were ra- uh, hurrying to get there, this particular intruder uh, had, had walked into this school. There was this big alarm. They went into lockdown mode. Our grandson and granddaughter went to school. They, they went, rent, I'm sorry, they raced to their mom's schoolroom, hunkered down under the desk. And mom, you can imagine, with tremendous fear, raced through the hallways, violating all the rules and got to her classroom and got in, and the three of them hunkered down under the desk. Now, imagine the scene. Imagine you as a mom, how terrified you would be thinking that this shooter is coming for you. Nine-year-old grandsons says, Mom, God's got this. Man, am I proud of him. God's got this. Cast your burdens on the Lord because God's got this. What about me? Humble yourself because God gives grace. What about God? Trust Him. His mighty hand will deliver you. What about your anxiety? Give them to your Heavenly Father because He cares. Father, we pray for your grace to help us do this. And we can't do this without your grace. We don't want to offend you with pride and become your enemies. Bless our hearts to the a humble end of trusting you. I pray your blessing on this congregation and church family that 2021 would be a year of faithful trust in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.